Greetings. This is Roger Kimball. I'm the editor of The New Criterion, and it's my pleasure to be speaking to you from the world headquarters here in New York and say a word or two about our April issue, which is winging its way to subscribers around the world as I speak. Regular readers will remember that each December we run a special section on art, and each April we run a special section on poetry. So April is the poetry issue, and I think you'll find several really terrific essays, as well as a terrific poem by Joseph Harrison in the April issue. Not to give too much away, but one thing that I learned from one of the essays, an essay about the ancient Greek poet Alcman, is that the words truth, trust, tryst, and tree have the same Indo-European stem. Well, that's pretty nifty. I'd like also to read to you now from the notes and comments. There are two of them this month. The first takes a page from the musical South Pacific. It's called Nothing Like a Dame. As a repository of anthropological wisdom, wisdom, that is, about the species Homo sapiens sapiens, it's hard to beat the book of Genesis. It just gets so much right about who we are, what makes us tick, what are our besetting strengths, weaknesses, and temptations. Take, for example, this famous passage from chapter one of that stupendous work. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Male and female created he them. Until quite recently, that observation might be a goad commentary. Think of what the idea of man as created imago dei in the image of God requires of us. But its truth was never much in doubt, especially the truth of the second part of the sentence, the evidence for which is all around and indeed deep within us. It is true that there always have been odd outliers who do not so much dispute the truth of the Genesis account of our incarnation as underscore, by contrast, its overwhelming normality. We happen to write on the anniversary of the death of the Roman emperor Elagabalus, who lived from about 204 to 222 AD, and who was one of the most bizarre and decadent of rulers, and one who, by all accounts, did test the limits of that distinction between male and female. History provides other, but not many other, examples. The commentator Irving Kristol was undoubtedly correct when he observed in 1994, that, quote, sexual liberation is always near the top of a counter-cultural agenda, though just what form the liberation takes can and does vary, sometimes quite widely. In our day, a day that lingers still in the fantastic twilight of the counter-cultural revolution of the 1960s, the proffered forms of liberation test the limits of credulity. It turns out that Herbert Marcuse, the Frankfurt School Marxist, who attempted to realize the coincidence of opposites by making the puritanical Karl Marx appear as a disciple of radical Freudianism, foresaw the tenor of our deformation. For Marcuse, the engine of liberation, political as well as personal, is the embrace of, quote, primary narcissism, the repudiation of the, quote, 
repressive order of procreative sexuality and the triumph of, quote again, polymorphous perversity. Eros and Civilization, the curious book in which Marcuse formulated this gospel of apocalyptic infantilization, was published in 1955. It could have been published yesterday. What brought all of this to mind was one of those little spats that, for some, enlivens the channels of social media. The novelist E.J. Levy, celebrated author of Love in Theory and Tasting Life Twice, an anthology of lesbian fiction, has also written a forthcoming historical novel called The Cape Doctor about James Berry, nay, Margaret Ann Bulkley, the 19th century Irish-born army surgeon who practiced in Cape Town and lived as a man. It's that last fact, of course, that gives Barry's story its dash of hot sauce. As one news report tells it, and note, please, the use of the participle assigned, quote, Barry was assigned female at birth, but lived his entire adult life as a man. In the past, he was seen as a woman who donned men's clothing so he could become a doctor. But LGBTQ historians now regard him to be a transgender man. And since LGBTQ historians so regard him, you had better too. What we have here is a sort of back parlor version of the conflagration that has consumed the tennis great Martina Navratilova these past weeks. Navratilova, trailblazing lesbian though she is, had the temerity to challenge the new popularity of transgender athletes in women's sports. The trans Twitter mob came for her, ironically, given that her coach was Renee Richards, nay Richard Raskin. Just as E.J. Levy sparked the yapping ire of that community by referring to Barry Nay Bulkley as she in her novel, News of this outrage has precipitated a frantic response in the Twitter sphere as hundreds upon hundreds of triggered cry bullies have besieged Levy's publisher, Little Brown. Quote, please understand the anguish you are causing, wrote one wounded soul. Quote, this may be a fun imaginative romp for the author, but it amounts to theft of one of our very few well-documented transgender ancestors. Do not steal our history, end quote. No cri de coeur is complete today without the ritual invocations of privilege and marginalization. And the Twitter feed was also full of anathemata such as this, quote, This is cowardly and aggressively insensitive to the community this book would be written for. Callous, awful, and of course, as per publishing, a way to keep those with privilege a step above marginalized folks. Little Brown fretted, issuing one hand-wringing response, and then revised Nostrike Kulpai, assuring the book-buying public that they were working with Levy to, quote, publish her novel with sensitivity to the issues that have been raised, including the use of the proper pronouns to describe Dr. Barry's embodiment. The proper pronouns, eh? For her part, E.J. Levy dismissed her critics as policing gender and said that, quote, there's no evidence Barry considered herself trans. She also described the outcry as the work of a troll mob, which seems about right to us. Reporting the story under the headline, 
quote, writers want this book canceled for misgendering its protagonist. A website called thedailydot.com seemed to chastise Levy for abetting, quote, some recurring themes in anti-trans rhetoric online. Quote, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, the staff writer Gavia Baker-Whitlaw explains, often theorize that trans and non-binary people are just rebelling against gender norms and that their gender identity is not valid. This plays into conspiracy theories that trans men are actually lesbians or gender non-conforming women who have somehow been pressured by society to identify as men. Given the recent rise in transphobic bigotry, people are concerned about the possibility that Barry might be viewed through this lens. The initial response to the Cape Doctor suggests an impasse. Levy is determined to characterize Barry as a misunderstood woman, while trans people and their allies see this as historical erasure. Deep waters, these. We won't wade into them, other than to advise Levy to ignore this sudden access of online fury. It is in the nature of Twitter storms to be as ephemeral as they are vicious and indiscriminate. Have a glass of wine. Go away for the weekend. The incontinent online mob will be fabricating some other offense in a few days. The next note is called Wokes on You. Those who doubt the operation of a beneficent, or at least an amusing, providence should consider the case of the British writer Titania McGrath. Margaret Ann Bulkley may have decided to move to South Africa and live her life as a man. But Titania McGrath, a Twitter sensation and the author of the forthcoming Woke, A Guide to Social Justice, is a, quote, radical intersectionalist poet committed to feminism, social justice, and armed peaceful protest. A regular on the live slam poetry scene, Titania regularly performs at arts festivals, deconsecrated churches, and genderqueer spiritual retreats. Nice. Ms. McGrath was guided by private eye for the way she commended her book to the public. Quote, I have written the most important book of 2019. Do not buy it for my sake, but for the sake of humanity. Shameless or in-your-face intersectional wokeness. We incline to the latter view. Ms. McGrath burrows deep into the contradictions of late capitalism, patriarchal privilege, toxic masculinity, white supremacism, and heteronormative binary exclusivity. She is so woke, she makes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez look like Sleeping Beauty. Consider this, quote, if you don't think exactly the same way as me, then you've clearly got a lot to learn about diversity. Could any triggered academic put it better? Quote, I despise whiteness. Literally nothing about me is white, except for my skin. Although she is British, Ms. McGrath outdoes Bill Crystal at his own game. Quote, it's a broken kind of democracy that allows a majority of voters to impose their wishes on the rest of us. Yes, Ms. McGrath cracks open the hard nut of oppression lurking inside all of us, all men anyway. Quote, men who are attracted to women clearly have feminine tastes and are therefore probably gay. Again, I've posed nude for penthouse in an effort to dismantle the patriarchy from within. 
And how's this? Quote, if you only have sex with people you find attractive, you might want to ask yourself why you're such a superficial bigot. We've been hearing a lot about Brexit lately, but Ms. McGrath might have the most radical proposal we've yet heard. It is our children who will suffer most from Brexit. Therefore, we should hold a second referendum, but only allow under 12s to vote. And how about this? I've always stood up for minorities. As such, it is essential that we respect the wishes of the minority of the UK voters and overturn Brexit. Ms. McGrath is also sensitive to the enormity of America's slaveholding past. Quote, my book is now available to buy in the U.S. on Kindle. If you want the hardcover, you'll have to order it from the U.K. or wait a few months. I do this in order to punish the U.S. for its complicity in the slave trade. She's alert to fat shaming, too. Quote, you'll notice there's not a single obese player in the England football team. This kind of discrimination is precisely why the fat acceptance movement is so essential. She also tweaked Nat West, a British bank, for inciting, quote, violence against vegans. They apologized. How woke is Titania McGrath? This woke. Quote, we need to distinguish between bad homophobia and good homophobia. Bad homophobia is when a Christian bakery refuses to bake a cake with a gay slogan. Good homophobia is when children are prevented from learning about gay rights in the name of all. Herbert Marcuse's idea of repressive tolerance has nothing on that distinction. Are you thinking of wearing a MAGA hat? Quote, wearing a MAGA hat is a form of incitement to violence. So if someone punches you in the face for wearing one, that's your fault. Aren't we hearing that everywhere these days? Quote, whenever anyone says that women aren't funny, I take it as a compliment. Humor is a patriarchal construct. Ditto body hair. Quote, chest hair is a social construct. You knew that, right? Remember Jesse Smollett? Titania McGrath gets it. Quote, it is absolutely essential that we believe Jesse Smollett. If we don't, other people who have not been attacked might not have the courage to come forward. The absolutely brilliant thing about Titania McGrath, as the world just discovered last month, is that she is really the satirical invention of Andrew Doyle, a former Oxford postgraduate student and clearly a very clever man. The Guardian, The New Statesman, and other woke publications don't think so. Quote, lampooning the language of social justice is a cheap shot, according to The Guardian. The New Statesman, now that Titania, queen of the fairies in A Midsummer Night's Dream, has unmasked herself as Andrew, concludes that his performance is a, quote, tired and unfunny joke that is, quote, just the old sneering at the young. Really? We think Andrew Doyle, blessed with a pitch-perfect ear for absurdity, has revealed the malign hilarity of woke culture. Twitter was right to ban him four times. He is dangerous to the perpetuation of the woke bubble they love. And that's it from the world headquarters of the new criterion. We'll see you next month.